0: What do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the DreamOctane Finder framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional and in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past. Will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning.
1: I want to welcome you to this version of the Niche Finder Framework. Today, I'm very privileged to have Dave Combs on the line today. He is a songwriter, entrepreneur, former business executive with AT and T, as well as a former chief information officer. And allow him to share and elaborate a little bit more about that. But the thing that he's he's most passionate about right now seems to be in the area in the space of music. His first album uh, featured a song called Rachel's Song. And he says when he played this song on a radio when it was uh, debuting, this radio station signals would light up. People wanted to hear hear more about that song and we wanna hear a little bit more about that in the, in the passion section of finding your niche when we get to, to talk to him a little bit more. He's written over 15 albums of soft soothing instrumental piano music and the man is just, he's just walking creativity. And so I'm very interested because I love meeting people like Dave who have both the, the right side of his brain and left side of his brain. He has the logic and also the creative all operating in one vessel. And so I'm very interested to get a little bit more insight into how he makes all of these components work together so seamlessly. So without further ado, I want to introduce the niche finder framework to Dave
2: Combs. Thank you. For thank you, Cliff. What an introduction. I think we could, I could just stop right here. And, <laughs> and that's great. So uh, thank you for all those kind words. I appreciate it. Oh, well, I, I appreciate you coming on today. And so to get right into us,
1: right into this, tell the audience, why would they have a vested interest in your journey?
2: Well, my journey probably may be a lot like a lot of other people's journey. When you start out in your life, obviously, most of us, you know, we have things that we want to become. And <laughs> when we're little boys, we may want to be a, a fireman or a policeman or whatever those little kids jobs are that you want to do. But as you get into high school and college, <clears throat> hopefully your career path and the, the direction you want to take with your life as a, uh, a wage earner or at least somebody making your own way into society, it gets, it gets to be a little clearer to you, hopefully, as you learn what your gifts are and what you're good at and perhaps what you're not so good at. And it's hopefully the Those The synthesis of all those things that helps you perhaps get out of school and say, okay, I'm going to be whatever the occupation it is that you chose. And every every one of us, we always have, everybody has a first job, of course. And so my first job was as a computer programmer. I got a math degree and physics minor in college, and I worked in a computer center for four years in college. So I came out and I got a job at Western Electric, which was a subsidiary of AT&T. As a computer programmer, I, I did the coding in a language called COBOL. It's an old language, very uh, <laughs> different than today's programming languages, but it was very powerful. And I did some very significant systems developed for AT&T and Western Electric at the time. And after a few years of that, then I started progressing up the ranks like most people in their careers like to to do. You know, you get a promotion to supervisor and then to a manager and then general, you know, all the all the ranks up and progressively more responsibility along the way. And uh, to go along with the name of your your podcast, The Niche Finder. As you're going along, you're really finding your niche in life in that corporation or in business, and you're fine tuning your skills. You're maybe you go back to school, like I did when I was, I've been out of school maybe six years. I went back and got my MBA. Nice. I have an MBA from Wake Forest University, and that was, that was tough working a full time job and getting an MBA at the same time. That's like working two jobs, but mm. you, know, you do what you got to do. And if, if you're determined enough to do that, you can you can make it happen. So you mm. start improving yourself, you know, and along the way you if you're an entrepreneur, probably you're you're finding these uh, encouragements from other entrepreneurs or other books. And I'm an avid reader and mm. I'm an advocate of people bettering themselves through reading really good, uh, encouraging books, you know, like the, the power of positive thinking. I think most everybody's probably read mm-hmm. that little book by Norman. Mm-hmm. Vincent Great yeah. little book. And it's the principles in it apply today. You know, and there's another little book here that I've, I've got, I brought with me. This is, if this is audio, I'll just tell you about it. It, it is audio. <laughs> it, the little book is titled the magic of thinking big. And uh, yeah. it, I, I, it was published back, I think in the 50s, late fifties or something by David Schwartz. But yeah, the principles in this book, apply today just as well as they did the day he wrote it. you know and even today, for example, there's another great book by a good friend of mine that you've probably heard of and that's Jack Canfield. Jack mm. Canfield wrote the forward to my book that I wrote last nice. year. But Jack has a wonderful book called The Success Principles. I call mm. this a, if you want to get a PhD in entrepreneurship and business, read this book. My goodness, it's almost 600 pages, but it is packed full of wonderful advice that you can use to, to fine tune your niche that you're trying to get into and become a better person, a better manager, a better salesperson, a better communicator, all those skills that you need to succeed. You can learn by doing a lot of reading, a lot of studying and get around people. You know, when I was just start, starting out, I went to Toastmasters. A lot of people nice. would learn to learn how to speak in public. It's great, great practice to go to Toastmasters meetings. So doing mm-hmm. those kind of things when you're young in your career, just go to it. Just don't slow down. You, you, you make yourself a lifelong learner. That's mm. that's my one of my main things that I want to pass on today that uh, we're going to talk about niche, finding your niche, but uh, it's really not just once you found it, then that's it. <laughs> you know, you stop and, and say, well, I'm done. You're mm. never really done. You're just always seeking for the next thing that you want to improve on. So and my thing was I did great in my business with uh, at and and my job there. I loved working there, but it was in a in a corporate life of working for somebody else, but it always in the back of my mind had the idea I would love to work for myself. And mm. my wife and I both we had always dreamed of having our own business, being able to earn and make a living for ourselves. And it was through my, my music, ironically, that that was able to happen for me. I wrote a little song in 1981 called mm. Rachel's Song. It didn't actually, when I wrote it, it didn't have a name, but I wrote this tune two years later. I named it at our goddaughter's christening. We were asked to be the goddaughter, godparents of our goddaughter, Rachel. Mm. And at her christening service, I played this tune on the piano at the front of the church just for us and the family. It was a private service. And from that day on, we called that song Rachel's song in her honor. Well, that mm-hmm. named the song, and it was beautiful. Everybody loved it. Three years later, I'm doing a ton of traveling with AT and T. In one of my travels, takes me to Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and working there, I was working there all during the week and coming home on weekends, uh, putting in a big project at a, a manufacturing plant, uh, redoing their software. And while I was there, Linda, my wife Linda says, "Well, Dave, why don't you get a demo recording?" made of Rachel's song, a professional recording, so we could enjoy it and give it to the family, have the family enjoy it as well. Well, I did. I found a studio, and an engineer recommended a a musician to me. The musician's name was Gary Prim, Mm P-R-I-M, and I met Gary in a little studio, and we recorded a demo of Rachel's song. And what he recorded, his arrangement of my music, which I had never heard played by anybody but me before, Mm. blew me away. It was like going into a studio and coming out with a masterpiece. I could not believe it. And so that recording then bumped my level up another notch higher Mm. and kind of helped me fine tune what I was uh, in, in your terminology. I was my niche was narrowing down to now I need to have my music that i write i need to have it recorded professionally and Mm. in in as good a possible way as possible and then when i got it played on the radio back here at home like you said earlier the radio station manager he called me on the phone after it had aired on the radio and he says dave i've never had this happen before in my life he said i've been in radio for over 20 years Mm. And he said, for the first time, he said, this song played on the radio and our phone bank of 10 or 12 phone lines lit up. He said, wow. everybody was calling. What is that song you just played? And uh, tell me more about this guy in Winston-Salem, Dave Combs, or what, what was the name of that song? And he said this. He said, you've got something. So there mm. again, it was an acknowledgement and a confirmation that I was on the right track. And that I had something that was worth pursuing. Mm. So I I did the entrepreneurial thing like I would advise anybody to do. What you do is you take action. You say, all right, mm. I'm, I'm going to do something with this. I'm not going to think about this all day long. I'm going to do something. I called mm. around and I got my song played on every easy listening radio station in the United States. Wow. Now, 400 of them. And... the. You know, the same kind of reception. They would play it. People would just flock to their phones and call in and say, I love that song. Tell me, how do I get a copy of it? Well, I started getting letters from people saying, you know, I'd like to have a copy of Rachel's song. Well, I didn't have anything to sell them. All I had was that demo copy of Rachel's song. And I, I was hand making, you know, like mm. this. I was hand making cassette tapes. I've got a mm. machine right over here in front of me now. That I still have it, a, a mm. two deck cassette tape. Tape. You put a blank on one side and a. And a I a remember that. The, you remember that? And you just push. I remember that. <laughs> so I, was, I was making copies one at a time to send wow. to people. And for, you know, I'd say I'll let I'll sell it to you for you know what it cost me to make it and sell it and maybe four or five dollars or something well that that got to be impossible pretty quick mm-hmm. so i had to go back and figure out how can i get some mass-produced music right which i did i actually made a little 45 record <laughs> you may mm-hmm. remember those little 40 yes sir 45s yes I, I had a 45 record made of rachel's mm-hmm. song. and so at least i had a record i could send somebody and so i ordered like 300 copies of the the record and and sold them, and then in 1988, CDs were starting to come around. This is your your young people in the audience mm-hmm. will find this hard to believe, but cassette <laughs> tapes were huge, and CDs were just beginning. Right. Well, I came out with a CD of Rachel's song that had the other some, some other songs that I'd written by that time. So now I had a CD, which was really high quality audio that I could sell and send to radio stations or anybody that I that I knew the quality would be really good. And so I started selling my music and people, you know, I had lots of people that ordered my music. Mm. But then I thought, well, it's a great song. It sounds great. The reception from everybody is wonderful. I just know that the big box record stores are going to just love my music. So I naively, I go into the big box record stores and I talk Mm. to the manager, the Mm. powers that be about carrying my music to sell in their store. They wouldn't have anything to do with me. They never heard of Dave Combs. They were only interested in selling promoted big name music. Like at the time, Michael Jackson's Thriller was a big album album, Mm. Mm. but they didn't want to have anything to do with me. So I had to find another way to sell my music. I had to find that niche wasn't going to work. So I Mm. had to find my own niche way of selling my music. And I did. Me and two other musicians, one on the West Coast in California, one down in Texas, were playing and selling our music through gift shops. These Mm. little gift shops in tourist towns, when you go in the shop, you hear this beautiful music playing over the sound system in the shop. And people would say, oh, I like that because it's normally fairly quiet in there and it's it you can really hear the music. Well, they'd go over to the counter and ask the owner or the clerk, say, do you have that music that's playing for sale? Well, yeah, right here it is in this basket right by the cash register. Mm. So, so that became known as the play and the sell market. So I knew that my music needed to be heard to be bought. So... I eventually got my music into over 1000 gift shops over the wow. entire United States playing and selling my music. So that mm. became my niche was to to play it and sell it through gift shops that nobody else was paying any attention to at least and not until I came along and then then the big names came around and every time they got the idea they were going to do it too. Every store they went in, they ran into my music somewhere. Mm. And they all of a sudden went from not having anything to do with me. They were knocking on my door saying, hey, I think we we might like to carry your music now. And I said, well, no, thank you. I'm doing okay by myself. Thank you. Wow.
1: (laughs) You know what I can appreciate with your story is Is that I normally ask A series of questions But as I'm listening to you speak You're actually answering The external struggles You overcame The roadblocks That you overcame You know The plan that you came up with In order to achieve Your desired goal And even an epiphany That you experienced And I think it's just A beautiful Just to encapsulate All of these different You know um, Thoughts And all these different You know um, Learning opportunities That are all enveloped open this story. I do want to ask you about specifically when it comes down to your niche and your passions, like what strong interest did you have? I understand when you started, you have this epiphany with Rachel's song, but what passions did you have at the start of your journey?
2: Well, I've always loved music. Mm. And uh, like, for example, I can remember the first time I went to see the movie, Sound of Music. You may have you recall that too. Yes, I mean, sir. if you come out of there and you don't have a tear in your eye, there's something wrong with you, <laughs> right? I mean, that music really, it touches you down deep in the yeah. soul. I mean, if yeah. you're really into the story and they're in that beautiful music. So even in with that music and, of course, the music that I grew up with in my church, you know, I mm. love hymns. And my, my John W. Peterson was one of my mm. mentor or not mentor. He was a kind of a, a my not an idol, but he was somebody I really looked up to for my music mm-hmm. in the Christian church. And wow. uh, I did finally get to meet him one day and wow. met him in his home. But uh, but that kind of wonderful, beautiful music has always touched me. And when I noticed that the music that I had written with Rachel, starting with Rachel's song, touched other people in the same way, I, I, I realized that this was my calling. Uh, this is what I needed to do. And in fact, that's those words were written to me many times by some fans of mine that said, your music is so powerful, so special. This is what God puts you on this planet to do. So Mm. and so that's what the confirmation that allowed me in 1992 to quit my job at AT AT&T. I was too young to retire. I didn't have enough years to retire, so I had to quit. But I did it on a Monday morning after praying about it and thinking about it for a long time. Yeah. Finally, I met my boss and said, you know, I need I can't afford to work here anymore. I'm, I'm making more money at home than I am here, but I need to get on with what I need to do with my life and uh, never look back. It was uh, from that day forward, working for myself with my music, 15 albums worth and wow, you know, selling and sold in thousands and thousands, almost a million copies of my, my music. And now it's been played millions of times on the Internet around the world. Wow. Through Spotify and I, Pandora, iHeartRadio, all the streaming media, and iTunes, uh, there's. It's just I get reports every month of what's the the playing is for my music, and it's always amazing. It's just page after page after page all over all over the world. Mm. The number number one or two place in the world that that plays my music is Brazil, for example. I, wow, I'm always amazed that since my music is instrumental, there are no language barriers with it. So it's it's enjoyed anywhere, whether it's Japan or Australia or, uh, you know, in uh, Brazil, that the language doesn't matter. It's all beautiful music. So I've, I've been really blessed with that. Mm. Do you find that this is something that feels purposeful to you, that like when you do it, do you feel ignited? I really do. I, especially mm. when I when you read some of the, uh, the the letters and notes that I've gotten over the years from these people. And I've gotten over 50,000 letters I'm talking wow. about physical le- pieces of paper, letters from people over the mm. years, uh, telling their stories to me of how the music literally touched their lives. And many of them, <laughs> I, I always had a, a, uh, an office manager that worked for me. She would answer the phone and help pack up the orders. And when the mail came in, she would open the mail, and always I get to I, I read them all. And she would take the letter out and put a paper clip on it. And some of the letters, she would paper clip a Kleenex. Mm. <laughs> and I knew that I better get I better be sitting down when I'm reading this letter because it's wow. that's your heart. And, it, and they did. And, and in, in my book that I wrote, the Touched by the Music that was published mm-hmm. last October called uh, Touched by the Music in chapter 21 i reprinted about 22 pages of the just the most special and touching of those notes and when you read my book and i hope folks will get a copy of it and read it you'll you'll see why i do what i do it's this the, the comments from these people which were totally unsolicited are just so special and so heartwarming and and it just it confirmed and affirmed that i was doing the right thing mm And so as I hear what you're saying, taking action,
1: following your passions, understanding that it may take you having to take a leap Mm -hmm. or be innovative, find your niche. Not only do you find your niche as far as what you're doing, but you find you found the environment in which it's used intensively. and, And I'm using the terms that I use inside my book, because the seven steps of discovering, developing, and delivering your 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 niche starts with step one: recognizing your abundant factor, which is really going through these questions that we're asking. Mm-hmm. But number two is then finding where is that abundant fat factor used intensely for you in your journey. You found it was the gift shops, and like who would think of that? But you you discovered that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think that that's beautiful. Um, tell me something: what patterns do you find? That you have. What do you do naturally well?
2: Well, I, I think I naturally um, create music when I sit down at my piano. Uh, I think that uh, just being around my my father, who played by ear, he didn't need a piece of music in front of him. He'd just sit out the mm-hmm. piano and start playing. Mm-hmm. And I have found that I have that gift too. When I when I'm in a certain mood or whatever, or whether it's happy, sad, whatever the mood is. I can sit down at the piano and and I just have a conversation with the instrument. It, that's the way I, de- I describe it is I, I'll play and either just doodle around and make something up or I'll, I will play sometimes something, some familiar song that I love to play or I'll play some of my own music again. And it's just I have that uh, that gift of of. Being able to create something on the fly, normally if somebody gives me <laughs> a, you know a set of uh, wonderful lyrics or something i can I can sit down in pretty short order come up with a tune that goes with those words although i haven 't mm-hmm. done that very many times it's mm-hmm. but I have the the gift of creating a tune, a melody, and uh, I just have fortunately i 've written over one hundred and twenty songs with uh, wow. not re- but i 've recorded over one hundred and seventy. Mm. Of course, all of those I didn't write. But there were a lot of favorite hymns and and special songs, but but I found that I could sit down at the piano and pretty short order, come up with another song. And so I mm. I did with, I came out with a new album practically every year for 15 years. Wow. And uh, that has, and that's quite a catalog of, of music. And, and I've, now I have piano sheet music for all that. I went back and I, and I tried to transcribed note for note so that the piano players of the world, if they loved Rachel's song, when they hear it, you can get the piano sheet music for Rachel's song and play it for yourself exactly the way Gary Primm played it in the studio. Note for note. Mm. And mm. so and that so therefore my music has been used in a lot of weddings. It's been used in a lot of church services for an offertory or special music, mm. that kind of thing. So uh, I have the gift of being able to take the music that I've created and also put it in printed form so that other mm-hmm. musicians can play it as well. So mm-hmm. that has been really really helpful to to me and to other musicians as well. excellent. So the opposite side of the pattern coin would be
1: proficiency so where pattern is what you do naturally well proficiency is what you've learned to do well
2: over time what? do you feel is, has been a proficiency for you? I think my proficiency has been to, on the business side of being able to take the, uh, the, the data of what I have been looking at in terms of sales or sales channels or things that did work or didn't work. I kept a lot of records. I kept a lot of detail, a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of data. And I was able to synthesize that really quickly. And you know, I'm a very analytical person, and uh, I can usually take a pile of numbers and stuff and, and find the pattern in there and, and, and go with it. So that uh, proficiency of being able to process a lot of uh, information coming at me at one time and synthesize that into, well, all of this means this, mm-hmm. or it, it confirms that I'm on the right track with this. So it's, uh, that has been a kind of a proficiency. I'm very, very good with computers. I'm not trying to brag on myself, but I, I can crunch a number pretty pretty easily. and um, that's just that's really come in handy. When you're in a business for yourself, whether it's any kind of business, even if it's a crea- totally creative business, whether it's painting or sculpting or music or whatever, if you're run- running the show, you're also going to have to be a numbers person. If you're not, you're going to have to hire somebody who is. Otherwise, you're going to probably get taken to the cleaners by the tax man, or or taken advantage of by somebody else, or whatever. But you need to know the lane you're in and the numbers that are keeping you there. So mm-hmm. um, that's that's important to, to be proficient. Or if you're not proficient in something, you hire somebody that is. With. Well, like all of us, you know, when if when we not everybody does their own taxes. For example, your tax man or your tax preparer. He's very proficient at doing preparing taxes. Something that you probably if you did it, you'd probably make some mistakes and you'd have mm-hmm. to pay a penalty for not paying the right number or whatever. You you hire somebody to do the the things that they're proficient at and leave the other things that you're proficient at for yourself.
1: Hmm. Yeah. What problems do people call come to you to solve?
2: Well, I do get a lot of calls from from musicians that are want to know how did you do that, yeah, (laughs) and what can I do to uh, to do something similar. And that's a tough one because the environment and the 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 world we live in today is a digital world world and. Virtual music and virtual communications, but whereas I started out it was physical product with a cassette tape or a CD or, and uh, physical product. So it's very difficult. Plus, the fact that our technology has improved so dramatically that anybody with a laptop computer today has at their tip, fingertips, a studio, recording studio that is superior to the ones that we're costing Millions of dollars back in the 70s and 80s because we have unlimited tracks and then all kinds of ways to record. And a person can have recorded right in their basement today and create a wonderful album. And you can actually distribute it around the world if you're mm-hmm. smart at what you know how to do it to put it out to the world on Spotify or, or on Amazon, however you want to, like when you publish a book. Mm. You can write a book. You can do it on in a word processor, write it up, get the cover design, whatever, and create your PDF file of your book, upload it to Amazon, and say publish. You're a mm. published author. Well, years ago, you had to go find a publisher that would agree to publish. You had to buy 10,000 books at a minimum to fill up your garage with box right. of books. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Right. So it's, the world has changed. So I get a lot of questions about you know, if, how how do I go about starting an, a business or an entrepreneurial venture or whatever? And and I always just try to take them down the road of you know you study and you read about what other people are doing. You read these wonderful books like you're talking about, you know, the Success Principles by Jack Canfield, or, mm-hmm. or read my book. My book, even though it's a, a book of stories about me, but you those stories have application to any kind of entrepreneurial business Mm. it doesn't matter whether it's music or not so Mm. well last two questions that i have for you the first
1: one is your secrets if you were to be speaking to your younger self at the very start of your journey right when you were still working in the technology space and you had to give this younger version of yourself some advice what secret would you give that younger version of you that will help accelerate them from where they are at that moment in
2: time to where you are today? I've thought about that a lot, because one of the things that I realized I was 33 years old when I wrote mm. when I wrote Rachel's song. And mm. you wonder, well, how come this guy here's grown up in music around him all his life? He was, you know, in, in his family, his church, everybody around him was musical or whatever. Why did it take him 33 years to write one song, his first song? And in thinking about that, I, w- I would probably, <laughs> if I could, have told myself, Dave Combs, you could write music. You've got mm. as a choir director back then, why? If you write a song and the words and the music took, you can have your own choir sing it. I mean, you don't have to ask anybody. You just say, okay, here, we're going to sing this today. <laughs> so... I wish that I had had the benefit of someone telling me to use my creativity beyond what I was using it and not mm-hmm. just performing music, but also creating music and right. be more creative. I think that advice of uh, explore your creativity would have been uh, something that I think would have been uh, would have accelerated where I am today, possibly. Mm. And
1: last question that I have for you, because I find everything that you've been sharing so fascinating, but I do want to ask you this one question. How do you know when it's time to, you know,
2: give up on your goal versus staying focused on it? Well, I'm a numbers person, so I always maybe I do it too too much. And, And I'm sure there are cases where you need to use your intuition and your emotion and to make those part of the decision. But I'm a, I'm pretty much a numbers person. When I try something, uh, an idea for a product or a way to do something, and I, and I see that the numbers are not there. You know, you can wish all day long that the, that the sales would have come in, that the phone would have rung, that the mail would have been full of orders or whatever. If it didn't happen, don't hang on to it forever and keep pouring good money after bad, so to speak, which you've we've seen people that do that. They have an idea. They think they're going to make up for a bad idea, but with volume mm. <laughs> that, that never works. So to recognize that something doesn't work, you need to keep good records and be at least honest to yourself to say, OK, I've given it a good shot. And I, this is just not meant to be. The numbers aren't there. Let's just turn the page, go to the next chapter and come up with another idea and then not be forever tied to something that do- doesn't work.
1: Mm. If someone want to get in contact with you now, Rachel's Song, some of the value that you're sharing as far as mentoring or coaching. Someone wants to now get
2: in contact with you. What's the best way they can go about doing that? Well, I've made it very simple for them. I have a website that uh, is very very straightforward, very clean, very simple. It's combsmusic.com, C-O-M-B-S music.com. And when you go to my website, very front page, it's only got a couple of things that you'll see. On the left side of the page, you'll see a picture of the cover of my book. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, the Touched by the Music, how the story and music of Rachel's song can change your life. And then underneath the book cover, is a link that will take you if you want to learn more about the book and, you know, read in the look ahead into it on Amazon. Click on that link and it'll take you to the Amazon page for my book where you can learn, find out more about it, read some reviews. You can, you can buy it as a paperback book. You can purchase it as an ebook, a Kindle, or you can, if you're an Audible member, you can listen to it. I spent, <laughs> I've spent over 30 hours recording my own book. It took, yeah. and it ended up about eight hours of reading. And mm. so, you can buy an audible of my book and listen to me read it to you. Mm. And then, on the right side of my website page is a picture of my CD cover for Rachel's song. And underneath it's a link that'll take you to Amazon, where you can either buy a CD of it, or you can download the the MP3 files of the either the album or one song at a time. Or if you're an Amazon music subscriber, you can download, stream them, and listen to them right then. And then in the middle of my homepage, I put this there not too long ago because so many people asked me, I want to hear Rachel's. I've got to hear Rachel's song. I said, okay. So in the middle of my page, there's a link that says, play Rachel's song. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, it is the original recording of Rachel's song. It's not been remastered or remixed or anything. It's the, the real deal. High fidelity. I think it even has a thing on where you can download it if you want to on your own mm-hmm. phone or computer. Right. That's the real deal of Rachel's song. And then down at the bottom of the page, you'll find links to my social media links and whatever, Facebook and and LinkedIn and YouTube and all that. And then there's a, a my email address. Very simple. Just Dave, my name, Dave at CombsMusic.com. And I read every email and I answer them all as well. So you can get a hold of me easily and i love to hear from people and if you've got a story about my, how my music touched your life let me hear it i would love i love to read those stories
1: <laughs> well
2: you know it's such a
1: treat having you on today man it's 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 like sitting around um, the dinner table and you have friends and family around and, and and people are just sharing and that's that's the feel that I have when I hear you speak and just recount many of the things that you went through in your journey. And so I'm sure people at this episode, people will just be listening on their way to work or they just want to kind of relax and just hear uh, some great stories and encouragement. And, and, and that's what I felt you brought today. So I want to first I want to
2: thank you and I also want to appreciate you for doing that. Well, Cliff, it's been my pleasure. This has been a great uh, interview, and I I love talking with folks like you. And I hope that your listeners also will will remember to connect with me if they're in the car when you get home. then look me up on the internet at combsmusic.com and and continue the conversation. All right. And if you want to connect with us, you can always reach us on
1: dreamoctane.org. That's dreamoctane.org. And remember that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. Thank you for tuning in today. And we thank again, Dave Combs for being on our show today. And we look forward to having the very next guest who can help you on your journey towards success. Thanks again.